The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel, I ask you to follow in your Bible or use the Pew Bible as I read this portion from God's Holy Word. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, with people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out now into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is God's holy word. Our text this morning inevitably calls to my mind a Sunday school song. I was going to ask my wife if they still sing this in the younger grades, and I forgot to, but I'm sure many of you learned the little song as a child, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That, I believe, is the theme of what we have here as key disciples who become, of course, apostles later on as Peter and Andrew, James and John were the fishermen being called by Jesus to the permanent walk of discipleship in this passage. Here, I think, is not just a narration of how they did this, but a model or a pattern for the ways in which God works in getting hold of us in the midst of our own lives and ordinary experience. There are times when he is going to confront us one way or another and ask us to do things that to us may not even seem at all reasonable. But obeying his word and trusting in the scriptures will require it of us to do it in our ordinary everyday life circumstances. I'm going to suggest there are 
three different phases or stages to what happens here in this passage. Today we find a group of people, first of all, hearing Christ in the shallow water. Then some others, only a small number, trusting Christ in deep water. And finally, following Christ unconditionally. I'd like you to look at these and see where you may be this morning as we come to this communion worship service. Certainly in every age, there is a large mass of people who follow Christ or are glad to hear about Christ, at least, in shallow waters. They may not be real disciples, but they have a fascination with Him. And so we see here, as we have been looking at Luke, and I've named this gospel the gospel of amazement because constantly people respond to Him, and we read time after time they're amazed at Him, amazed at His teaching. Chapter 4, verse 32, just one example my eye lighted on here. People responding. He's a nine days wonder in their midst, and He actually still is today. I read that out in California not long ago at uh, two different state universities out there, there was a debate stage between uh, an author who is known for debunking the Gospels, let's say, and telling people that they're largely mythical or not what they're presented to say, and another more orthodox uh, defender, and they were having a debate called, Who Was Jesus?, Now, with all that goes on at large state university campuses in a place like California, you would think, well, who would respond to that? Well, amazingly, both of these debates had to be moved from the hall scheduled for them to a larger hall because so many hundreds of students wanted to hear about who was Jesus in this day and age. People are wanting to hear about Christ with a fascination. And so they were doing here in our passage today. Now, one of the things you need to keep in mind, this passage in Luke tells us about this calling of of these two, particularly Peter, of course, is the, the featured one, but Andrew and James and John are here as well, calling these men to become more or less full time disciples of the Lord, walking with him. This is about the fullest account we have of, of what he did that helped to motivate that. Other, uh, others of the gospel you could read, and it just says Jesus came to them and saw them fishing, and he said, come, and I'll make you fishers of men. And, and if you only had those passages, the, the brief things that are reported, you might think, well, wow, I just can't believe how they responded based on so little. It's almost as if someone walked up one day and said, Greetings, I'm the Savior of the world. Drop everything and follow me. Well, it it wasn't quite that abrupt. It was a process. We think that these men knew Jesus before this incident here. But it was actually only a rather short period of time, it seems, that they did come to a radical commitment. Now, you need to get the scene in your mind. Some of you are fishermen. I'm not. But I know enough about fishing to know that in, in almost anywhere you don't do it in the full bright sun, and especially net fishing in a relatively shallow lake. It's done when the atmosphere is cool and best in the dark. And so they would fish in the very early hours of the morning, maybe starting out, who knows, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. or something, going out, spreading the nets in, in a circle to drag the nets and hopefully fill them 
with fish. But what we hear is this was a very futile uh, day. When Peter speaks to Jesus, he said they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing. So here it is, 8 a.m. or so, the sun is up. They're there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum is most likely where this is, the more or less permanent headquarters for Jesus now that he's departed from Nazareth. They're cleaning the nets. They're sorting them out, getting them untangled. They would set them up on some uh, stakes probably in the sand for them to dry out so that they could be easily folded and be ready for the next night. And that process was going on when Jesus comes along teaching. And he has a group of people quickly crowding in around him, so much so that to best teach them, he needs a pulpit. And he chooses the boat of Peter, surely having a design for what he knew was going to happen here. And said, Peter, could I use your, could I sit in your boat? Could we just put it out here 30 feet into the water and, and I'll have this natural sounding board of the, of the water to be able to speak to people? And Peter, sure, of course, Rabbi. We're glad to, to listen to you while we finish our work. So there they are with these dozens of grandstand believers who knew there was something unusual about Jesus, who knew he was a worker of miracles, and he spoke with authority, and he was interesting, and, and maybe there was something they could get from him, some blessing or other. But yet they weren't ready to risk anything too much upon him. These seekers, dabblers, not yet disciples. They were listening to him as he preached in the shallow waters. Well, then there's another step. And we look in our text at how a few were confronted to do this, trust Christ in deeper waters. Now, if you're going to speak as if you know uh, about something and, and as if you're you know, some kind of an expert to tell others to do things, you'd better know what you're talking about. I learned a long time ago with this congregation, I have to get my facts right if I'm out of my field, because there's somebody that's going to nail me after the sermon and tell me I had it wrong. So I'm not going to pretend that I have knowledge to tell people how to surgically remove an appendix or fly an airplane or play a cello sonata or a lot of other things, is there's somebody here who's an expert in that. Well, that was the situation here when Jesus spoke to Peter. You've got to remember, what has Peter been doing all of his life up to this time? We don't know how old he was, but certainly a decade or two he'd been fishing. He'd gone out with his dad to do that most likely, and that's all he knew. And if anybody knew how to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee, it was Peter. It was his livelihood. He was an expert. And here was this carpenter rabbi saying, Simon... Now I'd like you to do something. Get in the boat with me here and put out to the deeper waters and let down your nets. It's really a wonder that Peter didn't speak the way he often replies, you know, with his foot all the way in his mouth up to the knee. He didn't do that this time. His response is really a great response. He, he shows his humanity in verse 5 by first explaining, Master, I, you know, there is some questioning We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Well, what are you saying? But let's give the man some credit where credit is due because apparently, without saying much more, he speaks to his partners and says, all right, men, we're going to put out because the master says so. 
because you say so, Lord, I will go and let down. Remember, these nets are all untangled. They're set out. They're ready. That work's all going to have to be done over again. He says, because you say so. Bone tired as I am from a night of fruitless work, I'll do it. Here is a great word of faith, isn't it? Lord, because you say so, I'll do it. I think we learn here that the basis of saving faith in Jesus means trusting him, whether all our questions are answered or not, and trusting him even in the face of something where we assume perhaps that we know better than he does. Christ will test us like that. Does the bare word of God, as he represents it, as the scriptures present it, have any supreme claim on us? Can we respond and say, Lord, you have spoken. You are the son of the speaking God. And I will respond and I will obey because of who is saying it. Oh, I do have questions, but Lord, I'll go because you say so. That actually is great faith, tremendous faith. What is faith if not just a response to the spoken word of God? Remember, God spoke and created the universe. He said, let there be light where there was nothing but dark and chaos and there was light. And he spoke into being all the aspects of creation, including man. And it was response to God speaking that marked all the great events of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham being called. And the Lord somehow nudged him quietly in his own mind and spirit, but overpoweringly, God seemed to say, Abraham, get up, leave the land of Ur, travel. I'm not telling you what the destination is. Just go. You'll know when you get there. Amazing faith to obey that. Noah, how we like to think about his story building that amazing project out there. You know, I still have a Bill Cosby record of Bill doing Noah, and God, some of you are smiling. You remember this from years ago. God telling Noah to build this thing in his backyard, and the neighbor comes over and says, you want to get that thing out of my driveway? And so on, you know. Well, God told Noah to do an amazing thing. And it took years of obedience and not seeing how this would work out or, or why it was, or, and am I a total fool or what? He obeyed God's word. Moses responded to God's word. He had a comfortable life, 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness, and the Lord revealed himself and said, Moses, go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Did Moses have a few questions about that? You better believe he did. He expressed them all. If you don't know that, go and look it up in the book of Exodus. But God's word became authoritative within these lives. And so it was here with Simon Peter. Jesus gave a command. Peter said, I don't quite understand it. It doesn't square with what I think would be reasonable or logical. But Lord, because you said it, I will do it. That's justifying faith, ladies and gentlemen, faith that respects the Word of God and begins to trust Him in deeper waters. But now we see the climax as we follow Christ unconditionally in the third place. It was a miracle by which those nets were filled. Now, there were two ways the miracle could have happened. One, Jesus created all those fish, which He could do. 
I think more reasonable would be the understanding that he, by divine knowledge, knew where those already created fish were. In concentrated in a school where the nets could be dropped, he said, here's the place, drop the nets. Peter's still looking, still saying, okay, Lord, because you say so. They dropped the nets, and evidently it was almost immediate. It was as though Moby Dick was in one of those nets pulling the boat to the bottom. It was so loaded. And Peter starts shouting and waving to the men on shore, bring the other boat, get the other boat out here. And we read that it took two boats and their nets, and then they were nearly sinking with the hundreds and hundreds of fish. Well, even as they were working their heads off and pulling with their arms these nets that were so heavy they could hardly be pulled, they were looking at Jesus and saying, who is this man who can give this kind of a command? And with the boats barely under control, I try to see in my mind the scene, whether it was in the boat or maybe they had gotten to shore. It's not specified, but I I like to think it's still in the boat. Peter kneeling with Jesus sitting there at the gunwale of the boat, and here he is, fish flapping in his lap practically, and he's saying, Lord, stay away. Don't get too close to me. For I am a very sinful man. Doesn't that seem amazing? What would we make of that unless we are comparing it to the same experience that Isaiah had back in Isaiah chapter 6 when he had that great revelation of God in the temple and where it reads and says to us, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and the cherubim and seraphim were there, and this wonderful vision of God's glory, and Isaiah the aristocrat, Isaiah the learned man who wasn't afraid to give a speech or face it down a king, fell on his face in the temple and said, Woe is me, I am ruined. I'm a man with a a dirty mouth, and I dwell in the midst of people with dirty mouths. Same thing when Peter could glimpse in this miraculous power of Christ something of the majesty of who God was. Job said much the same thing. You know the end of Job when he had disputed with God for the length of the entire book, and then the Lord led him to see the wonders of nature in his hand and challenged and said, Job, where were you when I did this, when I made this, when this happened? And finally Job said, Job 42, 5, Lord my God, my ears had heard of you, but now my eye sees you, and I repent in dust and ashes. When God is revealed in his power and his glory, What does any human being have to say except, what a filthy sinner I am? And you see, this is a necessary moment. It's a necessary moment in becoming committed in faith to Christ, that you would first glimpse his majestic authority. And when you do that, it makes you immediately aware of how far distant you are from him and how much smaller than him you really are. There's a vital discovery here. 
Christ has to take us into deeper water where our feet cannot touch bottom and show us that we're without any resource to please him or be like him. And so we will cling to him like little two-year-olds who don't know how to swim, holding on to the only object nearby that will keep them from drowning. The Lord brings people low to see themselves this way, not to shame us, not to destroy us, and not to leave us there. But it's important that we see ourselves that way. Lord, I'm a sinful person. Don't get too close to me. But he says, look, in that realization, in calling me Lord, the title of deity, of course, not rabbi, Lord, you've begun to understand that a new life is beginning for you. I have a new task for you. You've caught a boatload of fish, Peter, but you're going to catch men. And then it says they left all and followed Christ. And for the next year, or three years, actually, somebody else ran that business. We're never told who. I always wondered about that. You know, did the, did the cousins from the country come in and run the fishing business? I have no idea. But I do know that here in Luke 5, these bulging nets and, and nearly sinking boats full of fish are symbolic of the next big catch Peter's going to be in on. And Luke wrote about that too. It's in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember it? He preached the first great sermon in the days of the church after Christ had risen and the Holy Spirit had come upon them in power. Peter preached the simple fishermen and 3,000 people crowded into the church saying, I trust in Christ as the Messiah. Those nets were bulging also. The challenge, I think, to us is, will we leave the shallow waters of merely being fascinated by Jesus, merely coming around and saying, oh, he's certainly the most interesting person I've ever heard. He does wonderful things. His word is great. I'm, I'm just enthralled with him. Well, the people who thought that way never left the shallow waters in our text. He challenges us to launch out with him into the deep, to obey him and trust him and believe him about things that, in some sense, our, our logic, our common sense, our other people's opinions of what's to be done religiously or philosophically, say, don't do that. But when we do trust him, in the deeper water, what we find is we have the very presence of God in our little half-swamped boats. Psalm 107 was actually addressed to people who were seafarers in the Old Testament. It talks about the wonders of God in the ocean, but I'm going to spiritualize it a bit here. Psalm 107.23 says, They that go down to the sea in ships, who do business in great waters... They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. And I really know for a certainty that there are people in our midst, if I didn't know any of you personally at all, I would know this just because you're people. There are people here with great difficulties up to their necks. There are people here swimming in deep waters, trying to tread water maybe, trying to keep your head above whether that's a family issue or a work issue, whether it's a disease that you have or someone close to you has, 
Perhaps God has put you in a place where your feet don't touch bottom anymore. If you're in deep water, look to the Lord who does wonders in the deep. Trust in Christ who asks for your radical commitment of trust when you don't know what to do and your own wisdom and expertise doesn't have the answer. Launch your trust on him and watch him do wonders in the deep places of your life. And may he teach you to sing a simple song that's actually very profound. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Father, we ask as we come to your table that this radical point of departure for Peter and the others would remind us that you put us in places where we come to a realization of our own inadequacy. Times of transition in life, times of grief, problem, crisis times, If you've led us into deep water, teach us to take hold of you, to trust you, to believe you, and to go forward with you to see the wonders that you will do. We thank you for a Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.